from Matthew chapter 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Trinity. It is great to see you. Great to be back with you. I've been looking forward to this all week. We're continuing in the book of Matthew, but in Matthew 13, about halfway through the book, there's sort of a shift in the content and the flow of the book of Matthew. And so this starts a new series for us that we're calling Subversive Kingdom. And so today we're going to be looking at what the kingdom of God is and why it's subversive and what that means for our lives. And this kingdom comes into the brokenness of our world. Now, I don't need to tell you that our world is a very broken place. Uh, We could look at any number of examples. We could look at the terrorism that exists in our world and has grown in the last couple of decades. We could look at the rise in school shootings and and mass murders in our own country, and what was once totally unthinkable has now become so normal that we're almost desensitized to it. We could look at poverty and, and hunger across our world. We could look at systemic racism in our own country. We can look at drug abuse in our own state. We can look at all of these different things. And it's, it's into these challenges that our politicians make these grand promises to, to fix everything and make everything great again. And I'm not trying to make a political statement, but I think we can say it's not going super well right now. And when I look out into the world, the thing that terrifies me the most is not the problems that are out there. It's the problems that are in here. It's the capacity that I have in my own heart for sin that's as bad or worse than anything I see on TV or anything I read about. And so I look in my own heart, and even though I've never killed anybody, Jesus has connected murder to anger, and I see the seeds of anger in my own heart. And I've never committed adultery, but there's lust in my heart. And I've never smacked one of my kids, but if you would have told me when I was 25 that somebody so small and sweet and that I love so much could make me so angry, I wouldn't have believed it. I thought, I'm not going to be one of those mad parents, you know, those mad parents. I'm not going to be anything like that. But the amount of anger that can exist in me towards my kids, it's unbelievable. And the brokenness and the sin that exists in my own heart is terrifying even to me. We often say, and I find myself saying, well, that's, that's not really me. That's not really what I'm like. But the, the truth is that it is. It is in there. It's not the only thing in there, but that's, that's a part of me. 
That's part of the brokenness of life in this world. And so it's into this brokenness that Jesus comes, and he doesn't just bring the forgiveness of sins, even though that would be amazing. That would in itself still be the greatest thing ever. But it's into our broken world that Jesus comes and says, I have come to bring the kingdom of God. I have come to set the captives free. I have come to put an end to all of the brokenness in the world. The kingdom of God is Jesus bringing heaven down to earth. The kingdom of God is is his way of making all the broken things and all the sad things untrue, turning them all back. The kingdom of God confronts and subverts the kingdoms of our world. In the kingdom of God, I think about, you remember when Jesus was in the temple and he saw all the people like selling little religious trinkets and things like that? I think there were the little precious moments dolls that they sell. And he started just flipping over all these tables in his, his righteous anger. The kingdom of God is, is Jesus taking our world and the kingdom of our world and just flipping it upside down. He senses and he knows the brokenness of our world as well. He knows it better than we do. He entered our brokenness on our behalf. And this week, you know, personally, I've just had a week, you know, as as they say. I didn't just have a day, I had a week. Uh, I think this week for for me and for Jesse and our family is probably one of the hardest weeks we've had in, in, in years. And it's one of those weeks where it wasn't just one big thing, but lots of, of little things. Uh, both of our health, our health has been weak. Our kids have been just exposed to things at school that uh, is just, just so sad and overwhelming and, and difficult. Uh, little things around the house are just breaking and, and causing headaches and things like that. And I don't have to share all the details because you know what those weeks are like. You know what it's like to feel like everything is just working against you. Everything around you is breaking. It's just hard. It's just heavy. I woke up yesterday barely able to breathe. And so I went to the doctor and I'm fine. He's like, you're not contagious. Uh, just rest and don't use your voice for a few days, which I was like, come on. He's just trying to, you know, bring down the kingdom of God. I'm like, get behind me, <laughs> Saturday doctor. And he's like, okay, I'll see you on Monday. But you don't need me to tell you of all the, the brokenness in the world because you, you feel it. You probably feel immersed in the brokenness of the world. And, and the reality is that we are. So you may not need me to tell you about the brokenness of the world, but you, you might need me to tell you again every week that old story of good news. The good news that all this brokenness will one day be turned back, and it's already happened. It's already beginning. And so Jesus came saying, I have come to bring the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God we're going to see today, it's about three things. It's about God's presence his people, and his place. And the three big questions I want to ask is, what is the kingdom? Why is it subversive? And then how do we enter it? How do we enter this kingdom? So first of all, what is the kingdom? Now, in any kingdom, there are these three things, the presence of a king, a people, and a place. That's what makes a kingdom. And so in God's kingdom, it means that God is the king, and his presence is over his people and his place. There is no kingdom without the presence of a king. And so I'm sorry to Callaway County. If you know Callaway County, it's immediately east and south of here. Originally, Callaway County wanted to be its own kingdom. I don't know if you know that story, but they tried to secede not only from the state, but from all of the U.S. They wanted to be like this autonomous little place, you know, in the middle of central Missouri. 
Um, so I'm sorry, Callaway County, you don't actually have a king. That's why the, the city's called Kingdom City, you know, right there on the highway, Kingdom City. They're like, we got a McDonald's. I'm sorry, still not a kingdom. <laughs> Without a king, there is no kingdom. And so we see throughout scripture, this kingdom story, a, a story of the presence of a king with his people in his place. And so just think about the story from beginning to end. In creation, it's, it's God, the king, hovering over the waters of the deep, and he brings a place into existence, and then he calls people in, in his own image, after his own name, to inhabit that place. And he is their king, and the message of creation is, I am with you. Even in the fall of man, where Adam and Eve rebel against God and break his law and break relationship with him, even still, God finds a way to provide for them. He removes them from the garden, and yet he still says, I am with you. And the whole history of Israel is a history of covenants. God making these unbreakable promises with his people. Covenants to Noah, to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob, to Moses and to David. Covenants that say, I am with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then Jesus arrives and he inaugurates a new season of the kingdom of God in our midst, saying the kingdom of God is here now. And through his life and death and resurrection, he proclaims to us, I am with you. His name means God with us. And now between the resurrection and ascension of Jesus and, and his return, the period of the history of redemption that we're in right now, the kingdom exists primarily in the context of the church. And so God is our king. The people are the church all over the world, and the place literally is the church. And so we don't need sacrifices anymore because Jesus is our sacrifice. We don't need a temple anymore because the Holy Spirit is a temple within us. We don't need priests anymore because we are all priests ministering to one another before God our king. And one day, all of this will come to a glorious completion. In the new heavens and new earth, God will be our king in fullness for all of eternity. We will be his people, and the new heavens and the new earth will be our place. And so this is our God, and this is who we are. We have been adopted into this family and into this kingdom. We didn't earn our way into it. We didn't achieve our way into it. But we received this kingdom by becoming his children. And so taking these three themes together, the kingdom is life with God in his presence as his people and in his place. So the question then for, for Israel at the time and then now for us is why would anyone not want to be a part of this kingdom? If the kingdom is where God is and it's about being part of his people and in his place, who would not want to be in this kingdom? But of course, the reality is that it's not the only kingdom that there's an opposing kingdom. There's a kingdom of the world. And that's why our kingdom is so subversive. That's the second question. I think this is the most important question, and it's one that we're going to be, be speaking to over the next nine weeks as we look through this portion of Matthew. Why is the kingdom of God so subversive? And to understand that, we need to understand the kingdom of our world. Our world in itself is a kingdom in rebellion against the true king. And so the kingdom of the world is rebelling against God and his kingdom. And throughout the scriptures, the, the word world is used in two different ways. It's used in a, in a general sense to mean all the people of the earth. 
so that it can, it can be said that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son into the world. And yet there's also this use of the word world, which means a, a sort of system of, of evil and a system of rebellion against God. And we see it in the Old and the New Testament, but a few examples. In Matthew 4, 8, the devil takes Jesus up to a high place and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, and he offers them to him. So it's a way of showing us that the kingdoms of our world are under the authority of the devil himself. In John 18, Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. In Ephesians 2, it says, Before Christ, you used to follow the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And the kingdom of the air is Paul's way of describing the influence of evil and of the devil in our world. It's as pervasive as air. It's everywhere. And so this is why our world is so broken. You think of the poverty, terrorism, shootings, racism, oppression, oppression, the sin in, in my own heart, all the random forms of brokenness that we deal with in our life. Is that all just the grind of life? Is that all just, just, it's just happenstance? Or is there something behind it? Is there something behind all this brokenness? Is there a kingdom of evil at the root of all of our brokenness? And the Bible clearly says that there is. And so 1 Peter 5 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The kingdom of the world is the kingdom of our enemy. And there's an old movie that, that some of you have seen. Hopefully, some of you have seen the movie The Usual Suspects. Uh, if you haven't seen it, if you're too young for it, you've got to see it. Uh, but the very opening line of this movie says, The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And I think that's largely true of our world, that the devil has convinced us that he doesn't exist. In our Western world, we struggle to believe in anything we can't see or, or measure or quantify. But there are real forces, a real kingdom of evil that is rebelling against the kingdom of our Lord. And so here's where we get to the subversive kingdom part. It's against this rebellion against God that we rebel. We rebel against the rebellion. We're rebelling against the rebellion against God. So we ourselves are the rebels. We're rebelling against this kingdom of brokenness. Now, even as I was preparing this, and, and maybe you're sensing this too, a couple of objections came to my mind. Because you might think, well, am I saying that we have to totally flee from the world? If the world is this broken, wouldn't that just lead us to go out and, and live on farms and, and stay away from secular music and just not watch any movies and things like that? Well, no, biblically, that's, that's not an option. That's the easy way out, honestly. But Jesus doesn't give us that way out. First John, it says, God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his son, his one and only son, into the world that we might live through him. In this world, we are like Jesus. And so it's into this world that God sent his son, and it's into this broken world that the son sends us to make his father known as well. So there isn't the option just to flee the world, but instead we are ambassadors for Christ sent into the brokenness of this world. 
And then the second objection you might say, and, and I understand it, it's, it's that the world really isn't that bad. I mean, we think about our friends that don't know the Lord, and it doesn't seem like they're part of this kingdom of evil. They're, they're good people. They're teachers and nurses, and they volunteer for charities and bake cookies for their neighbors. And there's so much common grace in the world that I'm, I'm so thankful for, and we see so much moral goodness in our neighbors. And yet, think about it. These folks are just as deep in suffering as we are. I don't think you could ask anybody in our world, are, are you feeling the weight of brokenness and suffering in the world? And they would just say, no, I don't think so. Even those that are, that are far from Christ feel the weight of this brokenness on them. They are immersed in it just as we are. And it's into that brokenness that we can speak a better story. We can tell them the story of why this brokenness exists and how God is turning it back in Christ. And so the kingdom of God confronts and subverts the kingdom of the world. And it does so by showing us that the kingdom of God is truly better. The kingdom of God is better than the kingdom of the world. We can look at the kingdom of the world and know that we have, we have tried it. We've given it a chance and it has failed us. It has proved itself to be a lie to us. We need something better than the kingdom of the world. And so the third question is, how do we enter this kingdom? How do we live into this kingdom? And that's where I want to look at these two, uh, really three parables really briefly. It's so interesting that Jesus would use these parables. Almost always when he's referring to the kingdom, he does so in parables. And then his two favorite themes within the parables are the seeds and the treasures. These are the images he keeps coming back to, seed and treasure. And think about how unique this is because Israel was waiting for a Messiah who would wipe out all the brokenness but would do so in a certain way. They were waiting for a Messiah that would come in and, and come down on the clouds and ride in on lightning on, on a majestic horse and just start crushing fools. He thought they would, that he would come in and would set up his throne in his temple in Jerusalem and that all the nations would come and bow down to them and they would reign over all the other nations. And then Jesus shows up saying, my kingdom is here. And then he tells a story about some seeds. It's totally unexpected. We have to give Israel some grace for not recognizing Jesus right away because it was totally against what they thought was going to come. And so he tells this parable, the sower and the seeds, and then later in the passage, he describes it. And so I'll just summarize these four responses to the kingdom of God. These four groups of people and four ways of responding to God and his kingdom. The first group are the seeds that fall in the path and were eaten by the birds. And Jesus says, these are those who hear the good news of the kingdom, but they reject it, and the devil snatches them away. The second group are the seeds that fall on rocky soil, and they grow up, but then they wither in the sun. And Jesus says, these are the people who hear the word and initially believe the message. And this should resonate with us and even scare us a little bit. They initially believe the message, but according to Jesus, they have no root. And so when trouble comes, they, they wither and fade and die. And the third group is the, the seeds that fall among the thorns. And so like the second group, they initially believe as well. They grow up. These plants come, come up. They emerge from the soil, but then they're choked out by the weeds. And Jesus says these are the folks that receive the message, but eventually the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word. And then finally, the fourth group, 
the seeds that fall on good soil. Plants sprout up. Jesus says these are the ones who hear his word, who understand it, who give themselves to it. And they bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold in the kingdom of God. And so we get this powerful image that to enter the kingdom is to receive his word and to let it dwell deep within us. The seeds don't grow overnight. This image that he gives us is is so slow, it's so patient. Israel wanted a, a kingdom that would come in like a wrecking ball and just destroy the ground but Jesus describes a seed that would, would enter the ground. A seed that would, would change the, the internal composition of the ground. A seed that would come organically and gradually and gently. A seed that would transform the soil from the inside out, even reorienting its energies. And that's what's so subversive about this kingdom that Jesus is initiating. See, the the people of Israel, they wanted conquest, and yet Jesus comes and says, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. They wanted riches, and Jesus says, blessed are the poor. They wanted power, and Jesus says, whoever enters the kingdom must become like a little child. They wanted authority, and Jesus says, whoever wants to be great must become a servant. They wanted an undefeatable military, and Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. They wanted a Messiah on a throne, and they got a Messiah on a cross. And even still, here's what I want you to take away this morning, that the kingdom of God is better. The kingdom of God tells a better story. It gives us a better truth than the kingdom of the world. In the parables of the great treasure, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy... He went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. The farmer would have looked foolish selling everything just for this one piece of land. But in the end, it was clear that he was the wise one, getting rid of everything else to buy this one treasure. And the merchant would have seemed foolish for selling all of his possessions just for one treasure. That's not a very diverse portfolio. That doesn't, that doesn't mitigate risk very well to put everything in one little pearl. And yet the merchant knows if that pearl is worth more than everything else in his life, it's absolutely worth it. Now I want you to think about it. I want to close with, a, with an illustration. And I want you to, to really put yourself in this story and feel this. Um, back in, in the early part of the 20th century, you know, um, savings and stock were held in these certificates of deposit, like literal certificates uh, that represented uh, cash and stocks and all these different things. So today, certificates of deposit are just bank accounts. But there are all these stories that started coming out in the 80s and 90s of young people who found their grandparents' certificates of deposit. So imagine you're going through a a deceased grandparent's belongings. They've just passed away, and so you're helping out the family, and you're going through their closet. And you're going through their paperwork, trying to see if anything needs to be saved, and you come across a certificate of deposit. And it's a local bank, and your name is listed as the heir on the account. 
And you think, well, this is interesting. And so you call the bank, you call downtown, say it's, it's Central Bank, and you say, do you have record of this account? And they say, we do, and your name is on it. All you need to do is come down and claim the money. We'll give it to you in a gold suitcase. I think that's how it works at, at banks. I've never gotten that much money, but I believe they give you a gold suitcase. And so you're on the phone. You think, great, I'll come right down and get it. They say, make sure you bring your ID. And you're like, one last question, uh, how much is it worth today? And they say, well, it's about $10 million. $10 million. I was going to say a million dollars, but $10 million. You could spend a million in like a day. $10 million. <laughs> and they give it to you in a gold suitcase, and they give you gold pants, so you can walk out in gold pants. That's what I would do with $10 million. You're like, I'm just like you. They're like, you're wearing gold pants. Like, don't forget it. All you have to do is go downtown and get your $10 million in your gold suitcase and your gold pants. Now, would you think like, well, it's rush hour. I don't know if I want to go down there. My tank's kind of low. I'm going to have to stop and buy some gas. I don't know that I want to drop $10 today. Once I get all the way down there, I've got to find a parking spot. You know, the college students are taking all these parking spots downtown these days. And then I've got to remember I've got to bring these quarters or I've got to download an app. I just don't know if it's worth it. There are just too many, too many challenges, too many barriers between me and this inheritance. I, I'm just going to give it some time. I don't know that I'm ever going to go down there and claim it. It just seems like a lot of work to get down there. The little inconveniences, the little challenges between here and an inheritance like that, they would be nothing to you, right? I mean, you would find a way down there. There's no way I would go to sleep without claiming that inheritance. And that's exactly what the parables of the kingdom are telling us, that we have an inheritance so much greater than $10 million. We have an inheritance that is God himself and life in his kingdom, eternal life, free from all of the brokenness, all of the sin, all of the pain of our world. We don't even know what that's like. We can't even fully imagine what it would be like to live in a perfect kingdom in God's perfect presence for all eternity, where every day is better than the last and there is no brokenness. And that's the truth. That's our inheritance. And like the illustration, we're just waiting to receive it fully. In the meantime, we have all these challenges, all these inconveniences, all these things that, that cause us difficulty. And yet if you know what's ahead of you, it, it puts all those things in perspective. The good news of Christianity is that there is a battle between these two kingdoms, but the battle's already been decided. The victory was won on the cross and with the empty tomb. Revelation 11, one of the most important verses in the Bible, says the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. At the end of the age, the image is of the kingdom of the world being transformed being defeated and then recreated from the inside out like a little seed and becoming the kingdom of our Lord. And so this week, remember the story. The story of God's presence with his people in his place. Remember the seed that the kingdom is already here and that it's sprouting, but it's still so small. And then remember the treasure. And so what in your life has to be sold emotionally or spiritually or maybe even, maybe even physically, but what in your life has to be gotten rid of so you can go all in on the kingdom? 
What do you need to, to clear out of your life to go all in on this treasure of God and his kingdom? Jesus came to usher in this kingdom. The world and all its brokenness will be recreated from the inside out. And until then, we rebel against the rebellion. And he who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this life and this gift that is your kingdom. We thank you that you came and made a way for us. We thank you for your message that you are with us and that you never leave us or forsake us. And so, Father, would you help us to take hold of these promises, help us remember the inheritance that we have waiting for us, and how it changes all of these little forms of brokenness that we meet along the way. Father, we love you and pray all this in your son's name. Amen.